Welcome to the Proclaim podcast, where we sit down with missionary disciples and talk all things around sharing Jesus with others. So welcome to the Proclaim podcast. I'm here with Brett Powell, missionary disciple, husband, father, a whole bunch of different roles, (laughs) grandfather to one beautiful little girl. Yes, she is. Yeah. And we're going to have what I'd like to call a living room conversation. But the living room conversation is going to be centered around a couple of topics that uh, are very Proclaim related. Uh, As we know, Proclaim is a movement here in the Archdiocese of Vancouver that is set to inspire disciples to proclaim Jesus in our homes and in our communities. And today we're going to talk a little bit about a deep and meaningful topic that is easy to say, hard to live out, relational trust. Relational trust and the role of evangelization. So, Brett, let's start with you know how we might define relational trust, and then from there we'll go into why it's so important in the role of evangelization. Sure. I guess I would define relational trust as that bond that exists between two people that allows for influence to happen. Influence uh, in many ways, but in, in particular in terms of evangelization. And I think the proper context for this, is, just to put it out there, is Sherry Waddell's work and how the first threshold is actually having a trusted relationship with a believer. So somebody who is not practicing their faith, somebody who is not in a relationship with the Lord, what the social research is telling us is that the first step towards faith is not faith itself, but it's actually being in a trusted relationship with a believer. And that is a huge first step, right? And because it's the first step and there is a linear process that Sherry Waddell has put out for us, five thresholds, it has to be the most important. We have to really understand what that means to develop relational trust in the context of evangelizing the people in our lives that we love and care for. So I think that's the overall context. Mm -hmm. Why is it so hard for us to build relational trust? Yeah. Because we're a bunch of blokes. (laughs) (laughs) Can I say that in there? Um, Yeah. Why is, why is it hard? And first of all, we have to understand all the obstacles that we're up against. I mean, when we're recording this, Eric, we are watching some of the political scene down the States and judge Amy Barrett, Amy Barrett, right? Barrett, I think. Maybe you don't follow as much as I do. Anyway, she's you know being uh, confirmed for her place as a justice on the Supreme Court, and of course, a lot of the dialogue around this is her, her personal life, her personal faith, and all the rest of it. And there was one senator that was grilling her, and there's a reason why I'm talking about this. But there was one senator that was grilling her that said, basically, the Catholic dogma lives loud in you, and that was not a compliment. That was not intended to be a compliment. That was intended to elevate a problem. That is that the faith has no place in public discourse. Now, probably 30, 40 years ago, most people would have saw that and and called foul. It, It would have seemed so out of context. But that kind of comment can easily exist in the world in which we live. Why? Because the church is no longer viewed as the trusted lighthouse for society that it once was. We just don't. Now, a lot of that, sadly, is because of our own demise, our own failures, our own shortcomings. You can, you know, long list, clergy abuse, lack of integrity of church leaders, all the way down to the individual believer. So, you know, in a neighborhood, 
somebody is known to be going to uh, church every Sunday and yet, you know, they're whatever. <laughs> you know, it can be any kind of sin and, and all kinds of things. So, but anyways, the context, the, the, the reality is, is that, you know, things of faith, the church is no longer trusted as something that is edifying and true and beautiful and good. So not only do we have the normal sort of things that are difficult, we have this underlying suspicion. And if we understand suspicion and even where suspicion comes from, I think we're more uh, able to to align our behaviors and the, the way that we enter into relationships and everything else in, in a think in a way that will lead to authentic influence. So can I riff on suspicion, how important that is? Let's do it. <laughs> okay. Um, because, I mean, here's the deal. Suspicion is like the opposite of, of, of trust. It's not like you... Suspicion is the opposite of trust. Suspicion is basically, I hear what you're saying, but what do you really mean? And suspicion was started in the garden in the book of Genesis when the serpent came and had that conversation with Adam and Eve and did God really say not to eat of this fruit in the, the tree of, of uh, the tree this tr- the tree in the center of the garden and he was sowing seeds of dis- of suspicion and you know the serpent was known as a deceiver and to deceive is to persuade as true something that is false that is what deception really means and so he was sowing these seeds of suspicion in the hearts of our first parents, and they believed the lie against the heart of God. And if God the Father himself can be viewed upon with suspicion when all he's ever done is just made a sincere, continual self-gift, then any of us can be in that category of having people think suspicious things of us. So the church is no longer the trusted lighthouse that it once was for society. Suspicion reigns. There is doubt. There's confusion and suspicion directed at the church and directed at us as individuals. And this is the environment in which we live. And that's why another reason why trust is just so important because you know, if we have a proposal to make, say it's a proposal of faith or something about life in general, whatever, I mean, it will only be well received if it's received in a in a way that is believed to be good and true. And if it's met with suspicion, then, you know, we're just a noisy gong and a clashing cymbal. So I think it's important for us just basically throwing this out there that we understand the environment in which we're operating this evangelization this spreading of the faith, because there is suspicion and a lack of trust. It's rampant and it's individual. It's towards this, the, the institution of the church and everything else. So, so for a disciple yeah. living out a Christ-centered life, believing that God has something true and good and beautiful for us, we've been created in relationship. This is good news for us to know that we have a God who we don't have to be suspicious about. But for those that we want to reach out to, who may not believe in God or uh, does not believe that God could be good, their suspicion could be played out in a variety of different ways, meaning they could attach meaning to 
the way in which the world uh, comes at them or their life experience or whatever it might be. So someone has an experience of bad family, uh, of a bad family, an experience of growing up with a distant father or a broken home or whatever it might be. And all of a sudden, as disciples, we're talking about heavenly father, a mm-hmm. father who loves you, a father who wants intimacy. And they're attaching meaning to that. And they're they're projecting suspicion into that because of their lived reality. So when we uh, when we talk about trust, suspicion, and all of that, we have to rec- like recognize in our in ourselves we believe something and we've been convicted by it because we've been overcome and overwhelmed by the grace of knowing God and then beginning to see who He is. But the people around us haven't had that experience, and so suspicion is all around based on how they see the world. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. And, you know, just to get practical, when you, um, when you talk about relational trust, it's really important in the context of evangelization, it's really important that really what we're talking about is all those things that don't have to do with the words you're saying in evangelization. Because, you know, one little maxim I'll share is that people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. So if we think evangelization is communicating some truth of the church or the gospel, the kerygma, as quickly as we possibly can to get that in the relationship, chances are that's not going to go well because the soil hasn't been tilled by the development of trust in the relationship. And so, you know, even things like understanding the little things are the big things in relationships is just so vitally important. You know, if you make a promise to your neighbor who you've developed a friendship with that you're going to bring the lawnmower back by Saturday at four and it goes by a week, you know, it just, it hacks away at the message because obviously your life is not congruent with the message that you're trying to um, transmit, you know. So relational trust, developing authentic relationships is just so vital as that which tills the soil in people's hearts so that when the words come out, and the message of the gospel comes forth, it finds good soil in which to sit. That's really the context. Well, let's paint a picture of what uh, evangelization would look like without relational trust. Mm. Meaning, uh, proclaim as a movement is has asked and invited people to share Jesus with others. And mm. so we could take that literally and begin to uh, you know, promote Alpha, promote the CCO Discovery Study, or you know, start knocking on doors, inviting people into relationship with Jesus. And without re- relational trust, like where are we at? It's like what what does that end up looking like? Yeah, it ends up like trying to win an argument. It ends up like trying to intellectually convince something of something that they don't necessarily believe to be true right away. And uh, yeah, again, that usually doesn't doesn't go very well and and probably what we have to understand is that we we there's a very small difference between these statements like to want something good or to want something for someone as opposed to wanting something from someone and if we come on too strong too quick with the words people will there will be a natural um not rejection but just kind of a a reticence to that kind of approach because you know, what do you want this for? Like, am I just a story for you Christian guys to talk about? Like, am I just a notch in the belt or what? So, you know, it takes time. It takes consistent sowing seeds of love and compassion and empathy and all those things in order for them to be convinced that you want something good for them, not you want something from them. 
you know, and there, there's a natural order to that. You know, people, they are more likely to listen to witnesses than they are teachers. And the reason why they listen to witnesses or teachers is because they're witnesses, this kind of idea. So yeah, it's just so important to be tilling the soil of people's hearts through our acts of love, compassion, empathy, whatever the moment needs um, to meet them in that moment, really. Here's a approximate sort of contrasting illustration yeah. uh, that I can think of here for us in British Columbia and in the Archdiocese of Vancouver. Dr. Bonnie Henry yeah. is uh, you know, a leader, doctor, scientist, and all this. And uh, I think she's won and gained a lot of trust amongst British Columbians because of her compassion and her empathy. Yes. Like, you know, watching her tear up on like in a news release and, and spending time uh, talking about her concern for kids in the school and families and their economic well-being and, and all yeah. that. Like she spends a little bit of time talking about the science yeah. of what's or of, of what we're learning with the pandemic and how we're going to approach it. Uh, but we also hear the compassion and her care. Uh, contrast that to someone off the street. And, you know, if they came up to you and they told you that there is a cure for the pandemic, uh, I, me, for me personally, I probably wouldn't believe that yeah. individual. Yeah. I would sh sure hope that it's true. I'd probably get on the news and find Dr. Bonnie Henry. Yeah. Tell me, tell me the good news, right? Yeah. So I think, you know, what you're saying is true, not just in the context of evangelization, but in relationships in general, yeah. how important trust is. That's a really good analogy. I like that. I'm going to remember that one. One of the things that I would offer... Uh, is an insight that was given to us. My wife and I went with our kids on a retreat. I think I've shared this story before, but uh, we met with Father Potter, uh, Father Peter Nigren up at the Abbey, and he was sharing the story that a doctor told of uh, working with um, dementia patients and how this one particular patient was quite stoic, quite just, you know, not much expression, not much seemingly like happening kind of beneath the surface and most of the day was just spent slouched over and all that kind of thing and but it happened that when this particular piece of music would come alive or would come on the radio this dementia dementia patient would come alive would start moving you know very gracefully and start almost conducting the music so uh, into the music and and moving the body and everything and then when the music would stop the patient would just kind of go back into that default mode of being slouched over and kind of despondent and, and all those things. And and he said what we have to have and the wisdom that we need in working with dementia patients is to stop the approach of trying to pull these patients to where we are, but rather go to where they are and where they are, be with them. And that is a great analogy for this relational trust for um, sowing seeds of empathy and all the rest in people's hearts because, and this was the majesty of Jesus in his ministry. You know, when he met the Samaritan woman or he met with Martha and Mary, he was always on pace with their emotional life. And that's the, that's the key, like in terms of being relevant to people's lives, it's not just relevant in terms of, you know, trendy music and all this, but what is happening in their life? You know, can you be with people in the midst of their life? Because if you can be with people, learn how to be with people and bring substantive presence to the places that they mourn and where they sorrow, to the places where they're exhilarated and, and just are so excited by what's happening, 
or places where they have fear. And if you can be present and accompany them in those moments, that's where you are earning the right to be heard so that when you share the gospel, you share what's animating your heart of love for them to enable you to be with them in the moment. They're going to listen. You know, but so much of evangelization is trying to pull them. This person needs to believe in Jesus. Well, they do. They absolutely do. Jesus is our Savior and salvation is for all people and it comes through Him. But if we don't sow seeds of consistently being with where they are in that moment, then they will probably be suspicious suspicious of everything we say, everything we do, and they're going to be translating all of our efforts as, you want something from me, not for me. You know, the, anyway, so. Absolutely. Yeah. Some thoughts. Here's a practical, again, another practical illustration that comes to mind. Yeah. Alpha, which is one of the tools that Proclaim is supporting uh, because of its evangelistic nature and and all of how it approaches mm. evangelization. The majority of an alpha evening is spent in discussion. Yeah. And, uh, and, and leaders, table hosts, and helpers are encouraged to spend most of their time asking questions yes. and listening. And we're, as Catholics, we're not very good at that. Uh, I can imagine sitting at a table across from someone and thinking, you know, they're, they're sharing their life, they're sharing all these things, and I'm immediately going into, well, I have a response for that, right? right? Oh, you're, you're talking about broken marriage. Well, let me tell you about annulments. Yeah. Or, you know, you're talking about um, sex before marriage, let's say, and well, let me tell you about what the church teaches. Yeah. And uh, if we're not spending time and, and following, I guess, the alpha formula, where we're asking questions, we're sitting where they're at, yeah. we're wrestling with what they want to wrestle with, then... Uh, our responses mean nothing yeah. like it's it's going to fall on on deaf deaf ears yeah so we have to find ways even in our homes where we can spend way more time listening mm-hmm. and understanding and growing in empathy and uh and when the time is right and i think the time will present itself through inquiry yeah. through um deeper levels of conversation when those times are right this is when those those will open up the the doors to uh, propositions yeah. and you know the invitation to yeah. the gospel. Yeah, there was a great story told by um, Dr. Stephen Covey. He was working with this executive, and I think the principle applies to evangelization. But this executive was lamenting a, a home situation, and he explained it like this: "I just don't understand my son. He won't listen to." Da, 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 and then he went on to something. Do you know this story? And uh, Dr. Covey said, "Say that again." He said, "Yeah, I don't understand my son. He just won't listen to me." He said, say that one more time. I don't understand my son. He won't listen to me. I said, that's backwards. You know, you, you, you're, you're starting with he, he needs to listen to you. And because he doesn't, you don't understand him. So it's the exact opposite. But how many times we think, you know, the people in my life, my family, my friends, whatever, are not listening to me. Listening is that ultimate thing of making an investment by listening, and then it's reciprocated back. You know, listen to understand first. Don't listen to diagnose. Don't listen to prescribe something right away, but just listen because you're authentically curious about what's going on in the heart of this person that you want to evangelize. Authentic curiosity, authentic interest and empathy, I think are are just pure gold in terms of setting up a relationship for evangelization. Mm-hmm. So let's talk a little bit about some of the practical things as missionary disciples, as members of Proclaim. What, like, what are some steps 
um, tips that we can take to uh, to building relational trust, in particular, yep. in our proximate periphery. And to, uh, to reiterate, proximate periphery, we've used that term a few times before. Yes. It's it's those who are close to us, that are proximate to us, but are on the periphery in terms of relationship with Jesus. So yeah. close to us, but far from Jesus. Yes, amen. And I would put all of these under that category I mentioned before, that the little things are the big things. Like this list that we come up with is pretty much doable by every human being if you just set out to do it. You just have to be mindful. The first thing I would say is listening. Listening is is absolutely key. Um, listening to people's story, being authentically curious of what's going on beneath the surface of their hearts, and giving space. And that means not responding in the moment. That means asking more open-ended questions like, tell me more. How do you feel about that? That's interesting. Can you say that another way? I want to understand it even deeper. You know, just people are shocked by other people's interest in them. So, you know, something as simple as, how are you doing? Do a test one day and ask that and actually wait for an answer. People will look confused. Like, what do you mean? You really want an answer? Yeah, I want to know how are you doing? So something as simple as that, if we commit to it, I think is 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 one way for sure. I'm sure you have a list or some ideas. Well, as you're talking about the art of listening and yeah. spending time in conversation and uh, and asking questions, I'm immediately thinking of the challenges that go on in my own head, where I'm listening to someone or I'm asking a question, and I'm immediately trying to think of like what's the next question that I need to ask, yeah. or how am I going to respond to that with mm-hmm. an answer? And, uh, and I think the skill of listening uh, requires us and invites us to actually just sit yeah. and, and really just listen, meaning you don't need to answer. You don't need to respond. It's okay, it's okay to be in an awkward silence. It's okay to say out loud, you know, I don't, I don't know what to say about what you're, what you're sharing, or I don't have another question to ask you. Yeah. Uh, but just the very, be, um, the very process of sitting and spending time and allowing someone else to begin to uh, share surface things, then mm-hmm. maybe a little bit beneath the surface. And, you know, as I'm sure, sh- you know, as they're sharing things, I'm sure the suspicion is going up. So the deeper you go in your conversation, the the higher the suspicion. Yeah. And, and if they're sitting across from someone who's sitting with you and is not going anywhere and is not judging and is not making an assessment and is not trying to think of the next thing purely because they just want to be with you, I think that be, will begin to lower the suspicion. Yeah. Trust goes up when deeper conversations happen and you're still there. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so true. And of course, the, always the best example is Jesus himself. And when you think about his public ministry, I mean, think about a guy who had a response to everything. <laughs> I mean, you're talking about the creator of the universe who, mm-hmm. you know, mastered this human thing. Um, he would always have them. Uh, and yet... He, he didn't, that's not how he operated, you know, and this is where the, the great distinction between Jesus and the religious leaders of his time, they spent all of their time teaching and convincing and reprimanding and all that. And people fled from them, but Jesus hung out with prostitutes and sinners and people that, um, were nothing like him wanted to be with him because he was so clearly altruistic was so clearly wanting something for them that that was just an attractive thing even though he possessed the very holiness that the scribes and the pharisees were speaking about but they didn't possess it and this is the scripture says he had an authority unlike the scribes and the the, uh, 
the Pharisees. And that authority can be interpreted as he had authentic influence. That's what it was. His authority was he had influence with people around him. Not everybody, because some walked away, but for those that he was trying to reach, he created space. He never made a certain belief, a certain behavior, a requisite for proximity to him. And that's a really important lesson for us to learn, is that evangelizers in modern day and world do not make believing certain things or behaving a certain way a requisite to have friendship with him. You know, that's a really, really important um, modus operandi as evangelizers in the modern world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So many of our listeners would, I'm sure, are thinking of people in their life where they've spent time, had have, have invested in relationship, uh, but, but may not have gone to the place where deeper conversations can occur, where an invitation into faith can be a normal thing. You know, we've heard it said that, you know, the hardest conversations to have with another would be in the areas of faith and politics, and you just yeah. kind of avoid those, those particular topics. Um, but I've heard it say as well that, you know, for those who we love the most, uh, we should have the hardest conversations with right. them, the most meaningful conversations. And uh, as Christians, as disciples, this is the most important conversation that we can have with another person. Eternity is on the line. And uh, when, when we're faced with, you know, those whom we love and we're, you know, we haven't had those meaningful conversations, uh, you know, some of those first steps will be to sit and to be where they're at and to not have any prerequisites around why we are in relationship other than our deep love for them. Yeah. Yeah. And people sense it. And we all do. We all sense when people are for us, not trying to, you know, change us or not be for us or interrogate and all the rest. Like it's pretty, there's a sniff test that that people have, I think, innately. Here's... Here's a question or perhaps an example that uh, that I've come across a couple times within the Proclaim movement. And it relates to parents who have uh, some uh, children who have walked away from yeah. faith, from relationship with yeah. Jesus. And uh, they would have a loving relationship. And, and in some cases, the relationship is, is positive. You know, there's not a, uh, there's not a, a massive division within yeah. the family unit. Uh, and so a child might say to their parents, I trust that you want good things for me. Mm. You know, you'll put food on the table. If I ask you uh, for some help financially or or for some advice, great. But when it comes to faith, don't even, don't even go there. Uh, So for a parent who is struggling with this and trying to, and trying to hear intently with what we're saying in relational trust, what, what would you say to them? You know, yeah. they, they're in this, a place where they, you know, they're saying, my kids trust me, but in this particular area of faith, they won't have anything to do with it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I mean, I think, first of all, most parents who are in that situation don't interpret it this way, but should, that if some, if a child says something very meaningful to them, even if you don't like to hear it, that's a sign that you're doing a good job. That tells me that there's safety in their relationship, that they can say something that they know might be hurtful, but they can say it. Parents are not, how do I, I don't want to say this, well, it ain't controversial. I mean, parents are the primary evangelizers of their kids, and that has to start from the moment they're in the womb. You know, try, trying to do this when they're 19 or 20, um, 
chances are it won't work that well. But if you're in that situation, you're probably not the best person to be the conduit of the gospel message for them, but you are the best person to be interceding for them. And I, and I say that with, um, utmost respect for the proclamation of the gospel, but also utmost respect for the role of parents. And it could be that somebody else has to come into their life. And that's something that you pray for, uh, to be the messenger, but you are uniquely placed in that person's life because that's a, an authority that God has given parents with their children, even if they're adult children is to pray and intercede because you know, that child, unlike anybody else, and you can bring all that that child is to the father uh, through intercession, through lamentations and prayer. And that's a really important thing. I mean, to that end, I would actually recommend a resource for somebody who is really feeling the angst of their kids, maybe being away from the faith. And that is praying for your sons and daughters and those you love by Vernon Robertson, mm-hmm. which was featured in EWTN. And it really just communicates such a a profound understanding of the role of prayer in evangelization and you know, kind of cultivating in people's hearts through prayer, uh, the sowing of the seed of the gospel. So I, I guess I'm partly saying that because I think parents, we have this almost psychotic understanding that what we do is how the kids turn out. And while there's truth that we need to guide and all that, but there is free will and children are where they are. And if we translate children walking away from the faith as our mistake, then trying to solve our mistake is probably not the right animation for all of those things that we're trying to do. Prayer, prayer, intercessory prayer. You are there in their life to pray and God will bring another conduit of the gospel to proclaim the message. I'm just convinced of that more and more. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I've got little kids and I think often, (laughs) thanks. I think often of the invitation as a parent to um, find ways to model the image of the father yeah. into our kids' lives and to help uh, remove suspicion mm-hmm. um, moments where uh, where I could sit with them yeah. and not judge and not teach and not try to correct and um, and to to listen to the hurt yeah. or to the joy or to the excitement of whatever they are living at that, at that moment. Yeah. So, um, invitations to parents to find moments where they could just be with their kids yeah. without, uh, and to alleviate or lift any sense of suspicion mm-hmm. is, uh, is a big one. Yeah. Yeah. And I would say, I mean, the, the piece that I was just talking about parents with adult children, I would say almost the opposite to young parents with young children because you are the primary evangelizers and there's just such a a natural trusting innocence and relationship and everything so there is a time when they're young to be quite um you know setting the trappings of faith in the home and and living it out yourself um i mean some of the most important things you can do as a as a as a parent to young kids is to be found praying by them to be found by them praying Um, modeling the faith and those kinds of things. So, but, um, you know, in in terms of just being present and all that, I mean, it's such a, there's such an incredible opportunity to manifest the life of the father, to manifest the father through our lives. Uh, that's a, that's a noble responsibility for sure. And it's a blessed, yeah. Anyways, it's a blessed thing. Yeah. 
Brett, what's one encouragement that you'd like to, to give to our Proclaim listeners? Yeah, I guess I would just repeat the little things are the big things in relationships. Little acts of kindness, little acts of compassion, and uh, little acts of a lot of listening will go a long way in the proclamation of the gospel. Mm-hmm. The word of encouragement I'd like to offer based on this conversation is you're not alone and that in in the world of really in building relational trust uh, we're all trying to do it uh, we love the people that we uh, that we you know that are around us and that it takes time it takes a lot of time to sit with someone and to uh, to love them without um, just with where they're they're at yeah so i think we'll end it there and uh that's it i don't i don't know how to end podcasts actually (laughs) thanks for listening yeah